You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Lilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and how to create a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 159. Hey guys, as you know, 17 Hats was our main sponsor at SagerCon 2021. We recommend 17 Hats because it was a critical part of our home staging business and free us up from lots of paperwork, admin, and chasing clients with emails so that we can focus on what we love to do, which is staging. If you're like us, you probably didn't go into the business for the paperwork. You know, all those invoices, emails, reminders, to-dos, and just the incessant chasing after client for paperwork. So that's where 17 Hats comes in for us. It's like you cloned yourself. Their all-in-one platform automates your staging business. 17 Hats handles the tedious stuff like payment reminders, capturing leads, proposal, invoicing, and even scheduling. We actually created a resource guide for you on our site. Just go to stagerunner.com slash 17hats and find out more about how we use 17 Hats in our home staging business. If you're a current 17 Hats user, we would love to hear about your story too. You can submit your 17 Hats story on our site at stagemore.com slash 17 Hats. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. I hope you're having a great summer so far. We wrapped both our international home staging awards and also SagerCon last month. Thank you so much for those of you who have attended and participated in the awards as well, especially to the jury members and our speakers. Thank you so, so much for contributing your time and also making these great events happen. So one of the things I've noticed in last SagerCon is that I think this year is a little bit different because we've done two different tracks. So the first day was for beginners, and the second day is for those more intermediate stagers who've been working for a while. So one of the things I really noticed this year with the more advanced stagers is that a lot of people are struggling with their growth. They're growing a lot, very fast. They feel like maybe they skip a few things. And then now it's like all the growing pains are hitting them all at the same time. So they feel overwhelmed. They're not sure if they should hire their first assistant first or if they should hire movers or should they start expanding their warehouse and things like that. So a lot of those similar things have come up. They're struggling because they're not sure how to prioritize their growth. They're not sure what exactly is the right strategy to approach that. And I would say having been in the industry for a while now, more than a decade, I met a lot of successful stagers along the way. And I would say usually I see the number one reason why they are successful is usually because they invest in themselves. I know that sounds very cliche, but specifically, they really focus on education and or coaching. And they really take the time to really plan out their staging business. So they're really approaching growth as a very serious thing in their business. And they take the time to plan around it and to make sure that they get that done so that they know exactly where they want to go in their staging business. And this is very important because you do need to have strategies when it comes to growth. You can't just do things willy-nilly. And one of the things I really encourage you at this point, if you are someone who's been working for a while and then feel like it's been very chaotic so far, I would say start investing in time and effort and block out time on your calendar and really start thinking like a CEO. And what I mean by that is that you really need to focus on the higher level of task and income generating activities for your home staging business. So for example, really focusing on client relationship, especially with your top staging clients who send you jobs all the time. 
and finding more staging clients just like them. So asking for referral, really deep dive into your marketing to make them feel very special. So you can also improve your processes, your client experiences, and all that. And just really nailing your systems and your workflow and your SOPs. So these are all assets that's going to add value to your home staging business. You want to sell your staging business one day. So we had two attorneys actually spoke at StagerCon this year. And one of the attorneys who spoke on the intermediate day, we did ask about what is it like to sell your home staging business? What are some of the things you need to get ready for? And one of the things that she really mentioned was that you really need to present values in your home staging business when it comes to selling your business or your exit strategy. Maybe you're not ready to sell now, but actually take the time and steps into building those things that is going to bring more value to your home staging business is very important. And it's great that if you're starting early on, because it makes it so much less painful if you try to do it later on when your business is much bigger than to try to start from the beginning. And even if you don't plan on selling your home staging business, these are still very valuable assets because systems and workflows and SOPs, these bring organization. They make your home staging business run smoother, more efficiently, so it's going to be more profitable and with less stress. So it's really important to start focusing on thinking like a CEO. Even if you just start your home staging business, you need to start thinking about that as well because you are going to grow your staging business. So once you get to the point where you have, you start to build a steady group of clientele, you need to really start focusing on the higher level part of your business. You shouldn't be doing the day-to-day stuff like scheduling clients or doing your books, you know, making graphics or Canva and things like that. Even if you like it, you love doing admin, those sort of things would be better off to farm out to your assistant. So that you can really focusing on the high volume, the high profit margin activity in your home staging business. And so this is exactly why I'm hosting our international retreat this October in Italy, because this is going to be a dedicated time that you've carved out your schedule to really deep dive into your home staging business and to really tackle your challenges strategically with guidance, masterclasses, and also one-on-one sessions with experienced sagers and like-minded sagers around the world. I'm super lucky this year to be able to get Elaine, who has been on the podcast before. She's an amazing award-winning home staging business owner, plus a former business coach as well in the corporate setting. And I actually had opportunity to visit her this summer at her warehouse, which is absolutely amazing. It's like 10,000 square feet. So it's really great to be able to see her business and also see her office as well. A lot of sagers, like I met a lot of people, right? I met a lot of home sagers, but I think Elaine is the only one I know that actually have an active sales team on her staff. They have, I think, three salespeople right now. And all they do in the office is making sales call, following up on projects, expanding client relationships. And it's really, really important because you have to keep selling. You have to keep marketing. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions as well is that people often confuse about marketing and sales. I definitely see that from this year's SageCon attendees. These are actually two separate things. Marketing is just to get people into the door. So in staging terms, for example, marketing is like staging. We get the buyers to look at the house, whether it's online or in person. That is marketing. We get people into the door. 
But once you're into the door, you actually have to have a system or process or script, whatever it is you do to convert them from a browser into a buyer. So you need both because it's kind of a chicken and egg, I think, situation. You need marketing to bring the people in, but you need the sales to really retain them as paying clients. So it's really important that these two work hand in hand. This is also why I think Elaine is so successful because she really takes the time to plan out her business and to actually have a roadmap and have a vision on exactly what she wants to accomplish for her home staging business. And I think that's where her past business training and also the experience as a corporate business coach really comes into play. So I'm really thrilled that she's going to be able to co-teach the master classes on the retreat with me. And we gotten questions in the email about what does the retreat workshops are going to be like. It's also going to be depending on the participants. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to be sending out questionnaires to all the participants to really deep dive into your home staging business. On the questionnaire, you're going to tell us exactly what you're struggling with, what are really working great in your business so far, and what are some of the biggest dreams that you have for your home staging business. If money, objects, or whatever it is, it's no problem. So then we have a really accurate picture that we can start putting the curriculum together for the actual retreat. So it's really tailored for your home staging business. And because there's two of us, we're both going to do one-on-one sessions with you so that you can really drill in on the number one goal that you have for growing your home staging business. The whole thing is really about being strategic, but also give you opportunity as well to unwind. So we're actually going to have meals together. We're going to take market tour and the city tour around this beautiful capital city of Palmero in Sicily. It's a really ancient city, and we're also going to work out a palazzo that's been around since the 8th century. And actually, a few Italian politicians have lived in. So I think it's really going to be a great time. I love the location of Sicily because it's a really historical town with lots of beautiful architecture influences throughout history. It's also a great island with food, and it's fairly easy to travel around the island. There's tons of flights from Rome. So if you cannot find a direct flight from the States or wherever you're traveling from, you can fly into Rome, lay over for a few days, enjoy a few days in Rome, and then can come over to the island. So it should be fairly easy in terms of traveling. And also by October, it's still really hot, actually. If you Google the weather, it's going to be in the 80s. So you can still come with bathing suit and short shorts and beautiful flowy dresses and really enjoying the weather. And also this should be past all the summer peak travel craziness since most people will be at work. Typically in October, this is also not the high tourist season. And this is also why we pick October specifically. I have a few friends who are Italian, so I ask around like what would be the better time. Because originally we're going to do it in September, but all my Italian friends are like, no, I think you should do it in October. It's going to be a bit calmer and you can really enjoy the city of Palmero. So yeah, I'm super excited. And I think this is also a really rare opportunity as well. So if you're interested, definitely take advantage of it right now. And if you have any questions, feel free to DM me about the trip to see if it's a really good fit for you or not. The idea of the retreat is really to block out this time to deep dive into the problem areas of home staging business and really figuring out what's been stopping you from growing and expanding your home staging business and develop a 12-month plan with strategies and actions in place 
so you can really make a difference in the growth of your home staging business. Even if you have no intention of scaling to a really, really big home staging business, there are usually kinks, even if you're like a one person or two person shops. So it's really important to troubleshoot those areas to make sure that you can run more efficiently. At the end of the day, we really want you to be successful and to understand what is it like to build a sustainable business, meaning that you're financially viable and then you feel fulfilled as well and you feel happy about your home staging work. So that's really where our goal is for the retreat. Like Elaine and I are super excited about this trip. We really want to help home stagers in building a better business. So the only part we're missing is you. So if you're interested, definitely have a look on our website, which is at sagemore.com slash retreat. And we'll also link this in the show notes as well. So on today's show, we actually talk about this as well, specifically about growth actually through people. And I think it's because Howard has a really strong background when it comes to leadership coaching. So I thought it was a really perfect time to dive in on this specific topic. I think working with people, having a team, and being a manager position, a lot of people actually don't feel comfortable in it, especially a lot of creative professional as well. I mean, we really just got into business wanting to be creative, want to be an artist, but not necessarily having to deal with kind of all the stuff that comes with it. A lot of it has to deal with management, dealing with difficult people and things like that. So that's pretty much what we talk about on the show today. Our guest, Howard, is the president of Advanced Learning Group and an author, speaker, executive coach, and leadership consultant. He focuses on strengthening people and organizations through insightful leadership and management programs. He has extensive experience in Fortune 500 companies, consulting, and executive education. His work with small businesses, nonprofits, and large organizations has earned him eight professional awards. Howard brings his diverse talents and perspectives as an association leader, tuba player, and sports writer to all his work. He is also an active volunteer, facilitator, and mentor in higher education, professional association, and youth organizations. Welcome to the show. Before we get started today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Sure. Thanks, Cindy. I'm delighted to be here with you and your audience. I am an independent consultant, author, speaker, leadership consultant, and I also do a few things on on the side. If that's not enough, I'm a sports columnist and I'm a tuba player. That's amazing. So How did you get started doing everything? Because when I read your bio, I mean, it was truly impressive how much management skills that you had. So what got you into this and how did you get started into coaching essentially people on improving their management skills and also employment retention? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Well, believe it or not, I got the interest in this from being a scout growing up. And in scouting, both Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, there's a lot of work on training and development of leadership skills. And and kids learn by leading patrols of three to six kids and then learning skills to be able to be better leaders and grow up. And that really, especially the training part of that, really stuck with me. And so I went to college. I started off with a bachelor's in psychology, really focused on social psychology and industrial organizational psychology. And that led me to getting an MBA with a focus in organizational behavior. 
And in that led me to start my career in learning and development. And that's where I've spent my whole career, either working in Fortune 500 companies, consulting to 500 companies, or working independently with small and medium-sized and even large businesses. That is absolutely amazing. So what would you say are some of the biggest lessons in your career? I think the lessons that unfortunately I keep seeing repeated are with managers is that new managers, too many of them still feel like that autocratic is the best way to go. And the managers that really support and strengthen and are kind to their employees get greater results, greater retention, and have greater success. That's what my book is all about, Cindy. Make someone stay becoming a memorable leader in work and life. And I wrote that for a couple of reasons. Number one is it's the memorable moments in life that we remember the most, right? Yeah. Whether it's work or home or whatever celebration it might be, those memorable moments are the things that really help light us up. And I said, I want to teach people how to create more of those memorable moments, especially at work, but elsewhere as well. So I said, let me get some stories and examples of people actually doing that. And that's what the book is all about, how to do this and small ways and large ways, how to do this online and in person. Why does it work? And what's a simple model for people to learn and bring greater kindness, gratitude, and appreciation to others in the workplace? That's amazing. I think one of the things that is really timely to talk about now, I think it's the attrition rate, right? There's a lot of people leaving their positions right now. And even service-based business like Stagers, we're starting to look at that as well in our industry. Do you think this is a side effect from COVID? And if so, how do you feel COVID has impacted our businesses now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, you know, your purpose as home stagers is really to delight the buyers so that the home condo or Airbnb sell and move quickly. So you're constantly working to delight others. But too often when we worry about delighting others, we don't delight the ones that are closest to us, the people who work for us, because we're all stressed between managing COVID for ourselves and our families, adapting to various forms of work, including remote and hybrid. And is it safe to be in in person? You certainly have to be in person to do staging. So what does that feel as long as well as the increasing pressure at home. You know, when we have even supply chain issues that affect baby formula, it says that this is something that is real and is affecting and impacting all of us in a strong way. So how can you run a business that stages homes to delight others if you're not delighting the people who are working with you? You want your staff to feel appreciate so they'll do that. And companies that do this all the time, we know them, right? They have fun and appreciation in their DNA, such as Southwest Airlines and Zappos and Wegmans. These are companies that really people love to work for because they treat them right. That's a great point. So what are some of the things that we can do to retain our employees and contractors? One of the best ways, again, this is why I wrote the book, 
because if you can make the day for the people who work for you, they're going to want to stay with you. They're not going to want to leave for five or ten dollars an hour more because they're going to feel appreciated. They're going to feel wanted. They're going to be more productive and they're going to be more motivated to do the type of work that you want to see happen. So truly, I think that's one of the best ways to do that. You know, Richard Branson, who runs all those Virgin brands, and you're in the UK right now in London, and so you, I'm sure, see these Virgin brands all the time. You know, he said, my focus is on treating my employees well, because if I treat them right, they're going to treat our customers right. That's a really great point. So what are some of the things that we can do to make sure we have the right start, actually? Because I think managing people and hiring people really is a very long and also engaging process. And we need to make sure we have the right team member in place in the first place. So what are some of the best practices that we can do to make sure we're recruiting the right people into our business? I'm going to start with the end in mind, and then we'll go to recruiting. I think those are great questions, Cindy. Let me share with you a story of Doug Conant. Doug Conant was CEO of Campbell Soup. Now, I know that's no small company, but when Doug took over as CEO, Campbell Soup had more red than their tomato soup going on. So what could he do to turn and rescue this company that we all know and love so much, right? So he realized if he treated well and recognized his people for doing the right things, the right things that he felt were needed to turn around the company, they would continue to do more of that. And so he used what I call the VIP method. He viewed and observed people who are changing to a new way of working. He then identified and considered, that's the I, that what he could do and realized that one of the most powerful things he could do was to say thank you. So how did he do that best? He planned and acted by writing 100 to 200 thank you notes a week to people throughout Campbell's who he had heard or observed were doing the right thing and doing things in the right way to turn the business around. As a result, we have Campbell's Soup on all of our store shelves right now, and they remain such a storied brand. And so that's what he did. He just wrote thank you notes. He just said thank you. And you can imagine in a big company like that, hearing from the CEO, you feel really special, don't you? And there's a way that we can do that even with our small teams. We can still say thank you. We can show how we appreciate them. We can do things in a way that they need. You know, one of the best things about this VIP method, two of the best things are, one is that we all want to feel like a VIP. We all want to feel treated like a VIP. So if we think of that in that way and we know the people who work for us or around us the most, we can do that. We can do the small things, whether it's saying thank you or providing them some additional resources or help or access to information or whatever it might be that they need to help them get unstuck and to be their best. But it's more than just that, Cindy. You get a boomerang effect. When you make someone's day, it comes back to you like the boomerang does. 
And so what happens is you're making their day and they say, oh my gosh, Cindy, you made my day. And those words light up your mirror neuron. So you feel great as well. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. I think one of the things that's really interesting was that, you know, writing a thank you notes doesn't cost you a lot of money, right? It doesn't, also doesn't cost you a lot of effort. It won't take you that long to write a thank you note. I think when people think about how they can show their appreciation to their employees or their contractors, they always think that it needs to be expensive. It needs to be right. a very expensive bonus or gifts. But it sounds like what you're saying is that gestures, simple gestures can really go a long way. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there, Cindy. It's absolutely right. You don't have to spend a lot of money to show appreciation and gratitude. And that's what people are looking for. They want to feel that they are appreciated. They wanted the help when they need it. They want to know that their actions make a difference. Those three things really will help you retain the talent that you have so that you're not struggling to keep people on your team and in the workplace. As far as hiring members, new members, you want to hire people. You know, we can always teach people skills better than we can teach them attitudes. Skills can be learned. Attitude we come with. So if you hire people with the right attitude, the caring attitude, the kindness attitude, who have some of the skills that you feel are needed in your home staging business, you're going to have people that are going to stick with you. That's a great advice. So are there specific things that we should do or test, you know, during the interview process to really discover if they have hard skills or soft skills? You know, the best thing to do in interviews is ask open-ended questions that give people to share examples of how they have done this. So if you can get examples of how they've done this, so certainly you probably have some staging questions you want to ask, but I wouldn't just leave it around staging questions, or I would include questions around how you work as a team, how you work with others, what's a way that you showed kindness to someone who worked with you? That might be a great question for them to answer, for you to hear, do they have this in their insides? Are they able to do this in such a way that you're not going to have to teach this, they just live it and they come with it? That's the type of person you're looking for, someone who's caring, who's someone who cares about others, and someone who gives their best efforts. No, I think those are really important because ultimately you want to build a very supportive environment, especially, I think, with staging, but there's so many moving pieces, right? It's essentially a team sport in a way. You need everyone to be able to participate and also perform at their maximum level. So movers know exactly how to handle tricky floor plan or smaller doors. How can they deliver all the inventory without scratching or denting the homeowner's floor, that kind of thing. And then same thing with all the stagers on site, they know how to pull the room together or your admin person who knows how to coordinate the schedule. Like everyone needs to play a part within the team. Yes. And the more that they can be in sync with one another, the more that they could know what each other needs to be do it at their best, the better the job they're going to do. You know, there's a statistic that I just read 
from workforce. And it says that people who feel heard by coworkers and superiors report feeling 4.6 times more likely to feel empowered to do their best work. And that's what we're looking for, for them to do their best work and to feel that way. I think that's a really interesting stat. And I think one of the things I was thinking about when you're answering the previous question was that how can we help to do that? Like, how can we make each other understand what we're working on and things like that? Because I also think that with stage industry, sometimes things happen very fast, right? We have to rush to get a property on market and the photographer's going to come and everything essentially is like boom, 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 boom. And you're not really working on one staging installation at a time. When you're growing your team, maybe you're staging five, six, seven, eight houses all at the same time. So how can we make sure that we're communicating effectively within the team, but also from a manager standpoint? Yes. So the best way to do that is, you know, we all fall into habit you understand what I mean? We say, yes, right? Sure, I understand what you mean, or I heard you. But I think more repeating back, you know, what are your next steps? You know, you one of the things that people really need to know, and I call this the 3C process, the check-in, check-up, check-out. So when you go to a store, the first thing you do is, is you sort of check in with what they have on sale, where are things at, what looks really good, or you go to the doctor. And the first thing they're going to do is they're going to ask you, how have you been feeling? What problems might you have been having? So you will need to check in with your employees too. Check in with how they're doing, how they're feeling, what they understand. Then you need to check up. How are things going? So the checkup is really finding out specifically on projects, on work, what are they doing well? And the same thing if you're going to a store is you want to check up on, well, here are the things I need, but how are they looking this week? And what might I substitute or what might I add? And the doctor, the same thing. They're checking up to see how is your body functioning and how are you feeling? And then finally, you don't leave a store in the doctor's office without checking out. What do you need to do next? What are your next steps or actions? And you need to do that with your employees as well. You need to check out so they leave knowing what they need to do in the next week or so or whatever the next period of time before you connect with them again. So especially with people working virtually or you're maybe not being face-to-face with them, using this 3C process is really helpful to get them to know what's needed and for you to be able to know that they understand it. One other thing I'd like to add is you also need to be comfortable with their skills. So something happens and they don't get the right couch or right sofa or right lamp you're going to have to trust them on the spot to figure out, well, what's the best way to use this? How do I put this? Maybe if I put this in a little different place, it's going to be more attractive. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And what are some of the common mistakes that you see managers make? I know there's probably a lot, right? Like micromanaging, for example. But yeah, what are some of the most common ones that you see all the time? I know what needs to be done and you have to do it my way, my way or the highway. That's when people feel unempowered, 
uninspired and unappreciated. So you need to be able to trust your employees to make those maybe at the moment decisions. You need to know that you've trained them and you've worked with them in a way that you can trust them. When they feel the trust, they're going to give you their best efforts. Yeah, I do find it sometimes very difficult, right? Because when it comes to training, obviously you want them to have the SOP, you know, understanding your workflow and all this stuff. But when does it cross over to become micromanaging? Like we're being too detailed and all this stuff. And also I think sometimes it is really hard for small business owners to delegate because we know what we like and we want things to be done a certain way. We want the pillow to look a certain way, you know, all these things. So how can we effectively manage our team members without coming across as a micromanager, making them feel like they're not good enough or being criticized, et cetera, et cetera? You have to trust them. You have to let go. If your business is doing well and growing, and I hope everyone listening has businesses, aging businesses that are doing well and thriving right now, you've got to give a little bit. And I know you might feel that you know the exact way to set that pill that's going to really wow people. And I think you need to just let it go. As they say in, in, in the song in Frozen, you just need to let it go and let your people do their best work. And maybe it might be some great learning opportunities afterwards if you see it, or maybe it's not going quite so well and you go and visit and you say, oh, well, let's try and, and work with them to help them learn and see the vision you have. People who work in the staging industry, you guys are artists. You really are. Because it's the aesthetic that drives people to say, yes, I want this place. It's the aesthetic. It's how they feel that this is the right place because it looks so terrific. So you need to trust people to give them the same insights and vision that you have and help them learn. And let me give you a great story. This is about a boss at a law firm, a paralegal by the name of Sam joined this law firm. And Sam was so excited that she got a task the second day on the job and worked diligently to get that completed before she went home that night. But when she got home at night, and well, I think it was when she was sleeping, she started tossing and turning because she realized she made a crucial mistake. It was a very restless night for her. She went to work the next day And she told her boss and said, you know, I'm really sorry. I forgot X and Y. And the boss looks at her and she's ready to be chewed out. Matter of fact, she's even really worried that she could get fired. But you know what happened? Her boss said, this mistake is not yours. It's mine. Because I believe people don't make mistakes on their own. They make mistakes when they don't have the right information or knowledge. I believe people having the right idea, and it's not your fault, it's mine. I need to do a better job of telling you so that you know the right way to do it. Can you imagine the loyalty to a boss like that who takes the blame for a mistake that her worker makes? Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely amazing. And I I do think that speaks to the leadership quality of that manager. I also feel like giving feedback is an art unto itself. 
do you have any advice when it comes to giving feedback that is constructive? Because I think a lot of times we, especially I think with stagers, with majority of, I think staging businesses are owned by women. And a lot of times we're afraid to hurt people's feelings, but then we get frustrated because we feel like the task is not being done the way it should be, right? So maybe we said that we need to finish the staging project by five o'clock today, but because there's all these mistakes, for example, a sofa forgot to get onto the truck or whatever it is. So that it caused a, a lot of these delays that could have been prevented. So as a business owner and a manager, how do we give feedback constructively so that our employees or contractors feel that they're in a safe environment to work in and they can improve upon their mistakes? I think what you need to do, what any owner or manager needs to do is put yourself in their shoes and try to figure out what was the cause of the mistake. Like this lawyer who realized, said it was my fault, you need to think about, is it something you said or did that you could do differently? Is there something you didn't communicate to them that may help them? So for example, when the sofa doesn't come, Is there a number they can call to get a sofa delivered quickly to replace the sofa that wasn't there? So making sure that they have the right tools at their hand and assuming that they are not trying to sabotage you, but really are caring about doing the best work they can do. I think having that attitude and then giving feedback and working with them to say, you know, we didn't have the sofa. What do you think you might have done in this situation? And so make them learning situations. You know, there's no, when people take responsibility, they'll remember that lesson so much more than if you want to, it's easy to chew them out, right? Even as parents, it's easy to tell our kids, no, 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 that's not how you do it. But it's a lot harder to do it in a way that says, hey, what do you think might have been better in this situation? And really making this a learning experience. When you do, you won't see that mistake again, and you're going to have people who appreciate how you manage. I think that's a great point. But what if, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but I think this is very common as well, because I've experienced this. So for example, working with someone, they're doing a great job, but all of a sudden their performance starts to decline. And after giving feedback and they're just not improving, at what point do you let that person go? Maybe they're just lost the interest. They're no longer interested in working in this position. They're just in it for the income. Or what are some of the ways that you can really get the real feedback in terms of how can we really work on this? Even though we had conversation about this repeatedly, but we're just not seeing an improvement in the performance. Yeah. Well, when you're saying a situation like that, why do you think their behavior, their professionalism has dropped? There's always a reason that that happens. What might be a reason that they drop the ball or aren't performing so well? So many things out of your control. It could be a sick parent or child. It could be that they're challenging with something. It could be that they're sick and they're waiting for the results of some tests. It could be something that's just gotten away for them that has nothing to do with you. But I know so often you think that, well, 
They're just not doing it because they don't want to, they don't care, they've lost their motivation. Well, maybe that's true, but I think it's more than likely that something else has come up. And so for you to be able to be understand and help them through that situation by recommending, hey, what can I do to help you? And I'm not saying that you should become a counselor or a therapist, but maybe you need to encourage them to get some help or get some support if there's something that's facing them that is causing them to be less effective on the job. Don't go right away to say, well, they don't care anymore because if they were doing a great job, they don't stop doing a great job unless something else is happening. Yeah. And then sometimes it could be something it's completely out of our control, especially I think the difficult thing with staging is that it is very seasonal. So sometimes we do have part-time contractors or employees. They have another job elsewhere, or maybe something's going on in their personal life that can become very distracting. So they are not performing as well as before. So in situations like those, obviously we cannot control most of the variables, right? What can we do as a manager to make sure we can still support them to get that performance that we need? I'd ask them, Cindy, I'd say, how do you feel your performance has been lately? I've noticed some changes. Let them, first of all, realize that what they're doing is not just affecting them, it's affecting you and the business. Then what you try to do is say, what ways can I help you? What do you need? Do you need some time off? Do you need some other resources? Is there something I can do to help you during this stretch so that you can get back to the behavior that you're so capable of? So we're talking about good performers that all of a sudden have soured or performances dropped. We're not talking about bad performers, right? If you've got bad performers who just don't perform, the only thing you can do is replace them. But I'm talking, I think what you're asking about is what about good performers who have fallen off the wagon, if you will? And that's where you really want to find out what's going on and how you can help them. And do they see this and do they know this? And you'd really like to retain them. So you really need to do some part empathy, some part cheerleader, and some part counselor. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't think employees become bad employees overnight. There's some sort of contributing factor to it. And then also, I think sometimes the quote-unquote bad employees, maybe they're just not the right fit to begin with. Maybe our hiring process wasn't hitting it 100%. And what I found a lot of times, especially, you know, we talk about staging being a bit like a team sport, is that one person starts feeling very agitated or they're really unhappy in their position and it's starting to affect other team members as well very quickly. So in situations like that, as a manager, what can we do to really rein in that toxicity in the business? You know, I'm going to quote Alan Mulally. Alan Mulally was CEO of Ford and president of Boeing USA. And he says, you got to love them up. You've got to love them up. This is your family. I know it's work, but it's also your family. You need to love them up. And if you're loving them up, you're going to get more support and understanding. And you're going to put that in your mindset as you work with them. You know, but there's so many times that just saying the right thing or noticing something 
that's where this VIP method is so beautiful because you're viewing and observing them and you know them, right? So if you're viewing and observing something kind of different and then you're identifying and considering what you need to do and then you go ahead and plan and act on that, you're showing them that you really care and that you want to help them be the best employees they can be. That's a really great point. And then is there just a situation where this is absolutely not working out and we really need to let someone go? Yeah, I think that if, if after doing all these steps that they continue and, and you have you know sessions with them, first of all, if they weren't a fit in the first place, I don't think they're going to get to be a fit. So that would make sense that they're just not the right people for this. And secondly, if you've really given it your all and working with them, then I think you need to go through and start finding someone else. I would first give every benefit of the doubt to the employee not wanting to sabotage you. Now, I've talked to small companies and small business owners where people are starting to do things on the side and trying to start their own business. And so I don't think they're sabotaging, but their interest is not the level that needs to be. So I think you just need to find that out. What's going on? Be honest. Honesty and trust can go a long way as an owner and manager. When people feel that, when they feel the trust and openness, they will be honest with you. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for them to get that honesty and have that trust in you that they can say what's really happening. Right. I think that's really good advice. And what really makes a toxic environment to work in? And how can we ask managers to create a healthy and happier, more engaging environment to work in for our team members? Yeah, that's an easy question. So a toxic environment is one where people feel belittled, people don't feel empowered, where people feel that you're micromanaging all the things that you talked about. Those are all toxic environments where they're not given any reward or recognition, where you just move from one project to the next without saying, hey, that was a great staging. Do you see how fast that place sold? You need to be able to use that way to be able to constantly reinforce what people are doing. And kindness and making someone stay is great ways to do that. As we said earlier, it could be a thank you note, it could be a smile. Sometimes a smile is all people need to relax and feel comfortable. Maybe it's something online, you're not seeing them. Let me tell you a quick story. A friend of mine is a motivational speaker. And he has written a new book that's coming out with his partner and wrote something on his Facebook page because he likes to post inspirational quotes and such on his Facebook page. She wrote something and I wrote something to her on that same Facebook post. And I said, Anne, thank you for being such a mentor and support for my friend Sardee. He's really grown and you've made a huge difference in his life. And you know what she replied to me? Those four words, you made my day. It can be done online. It can be done in person. But when you do that, people will give you their loyalty. They'll give you their best efforts and best work. And those are the things you need to do to keep the people that you want and to develop the team that's going to take you 
to the heights that you want to achieve. And then are there things that we can do as managers to train ourselves or, you know, to take additional or like read or whatever it is? What do you recommend for us to improve our skill set when it comes to a manager? You know, exactly what people are doing right now. They're listening to this podcast. There are tons of great podcasts out there on leadership. I was just on one called Being Brave at Work. And it was so, so powerful and moving. But there's many out there on leadership. TED Talks, there's so many books. Leadership is one of the most written on books that are out there. I've just read a couple. I'm trying to think of one that might be really interesting to readers. It's called Positive Influence, The Leader Who Helps People Become Their Best Self. It's by Michael and Parker and Glenn Parker. So reading, observing, watching, and listening, those are all great ways to grow your skills as a manager, as a leader, as a business owner. That's amazing. And one of the things I find that it is a little bit different when you have employees or team members in person versus them working remotely. I feel like we should dive into both of these a little bit. Obviously, with staging, a lot of it is face-to-face. But now we start seeing the trends as well. People are hiring virtual assistants to do admin work because they don't really need to physically be in the office. So can we talk a little bit about what are some of the best practices to manage team members who are in person versus best practices for them that are working remotely? Sure. Well, working remotely, I believe the best practice is what I shared earlier is that 3C method. Check in with them, check up with them, check out with them because you're not seeing them. So by having these check-ins, it's a way of them, you being able to understand what's going on with them and for them to be able to share what's going on with you. So if you're working remotely, don't neglect that. It's too easy to just jump right to what's going on. How's this going? Where's this at? Why isn't this done? You know, and just go through this checklist and you totally miss what might be going on in their life at the moment. What's on their mind at the moment, what they feel good about. I've got a friend who talks about ripples and joys. What are the ripples they've faced and what are the joys that they've appreciated? And so using that when you're working online or even working in person, you know, ripples and joys, we all have them in life. Maybe sharing them as a team, maybe having a a short team meeting once a week. It could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be much where you share ripples and joys and what's happening and where you're going, what's coming up so that they're aware of that. Gone are the days. When we have to have long meetings, onerous meetings, meetings that last forever, it's time now for short hits, short meetings, and short ways to inform, to update, to inspire. That's a great point. I think meetings are, I feel a love-hate relationship. Sometimes I feel like it's just much faster to get on a meeting or Zoom call or whatever to sort it all out. I've been to those meetings where it just feels like this could have been an email. So what are some of the things that we can do to make sure that we are, as managers too, we're not just keep having meetings, but how do we be more efficient essentially? Because I remember I was reading about Jeff Bozo's autobiography and he has this rule that they don't have more than essentially 10 people in the meeting all at once. Basically, whatever 
they cannot resolve within two pizzas, they're not going to have a meeting about, you know? So when you have two pizzas, right, that's like maybe five people at most 10, he just really doesn't like meeting and he wants to make sure that we can be as efficient as possible. So what are some of the things that we can do to make sure we are really operating at an efficient level, but without feeling like, okay, we're just having the meeting for the sake of having meetings? Right. Well, I'm from Chicago, so it's got to be good pizza. That would be number one. (laughs) But seriously, what can we do? It's three things, really. Number one is make sure people know what you're talking about and that they need to be there. So A, making your agenda. And if you've got a long agenda, and I don't care if it's 20 minutes or an hour, put time frames by each of them. So as you're creating that agenda, you're also knowing how much time you have to talk about this or do this so that people see that you're not going to be just wasting their time, but that there's a limit and that these are the topics. Number two, only involve people that are important to those issues. So if you're talking about a luxury home somewhere and You've got five people on your team and only two of them are involved in that. Let the other three not be there for that part of the meeting. Don't waste their time unless you think that they can learn from it or it's something that's going to be helpful for them. In which case, let them know that. So number one, having that agenda. Number two, having a time frame by it. And number three, making sure that the only the right people are in the meeting. And then my unofficial number four one is make it good pizza. (laughs) I love that. And I think, yeah, sometimes it's a lot, you know, because there's so many moving pieces going on in running a business. And a lot of times I think people, or especially I think business owners, they're just so bogged down with everything. And they forgot we need to sometimes take a step back, maybe develop a training program or some sort to make sure that our team members are also moving forward with their skill set. When it comes to training, how often, or is there like a, every quarter we should do one? What is the ideal frequency? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think now more than ever, you know, have you ever gone to the the website when you're trying to do something? I'll, I'll even do it for cooking, right? I don't know what this cooking term is. I'm going to go to that how-to website to say, how do I blanch something? And so it'll teach me what blanching means and how to do it. So I'm looking just in time. So I think you need to have those just in time resources for people to be able to learn specifically what they need when they need it, because that's when they're going to remember it. So that's one type of training. That's the training to do the immediate job in front of you. Then there's a second type of training. That's training to include increase our overall talent and skills in our profession. So in home staging, what do people need to do? Maybe they need to go to a conference in home staging. Maybe they need to see other examples. Maybe there's a webinar that you'd like to post them to review. So the second type is how do we grow our skills and our profession? And the third type of learning is how do we learn to be better 
communicators, better leaders, better organizers, and better professionals. And that training can be ongoing at various times. And whether you do meetings around a book and you can do so small businesses, really small teams, you can have a book that you want to talk about. Or I've got a, a friend who's written a book on 1,501 ways to reward and recognize people at work. Well, oh my gosh, 1,501 ways. If you picked one a week, that's you've got 52 weeks in a year and you've got 1,500, you've got 30 years worth of ideas here that you can use. So find ways to be able to talk, work, and learn for the immediate need for the growth need, and for the individual development need. And then find maybe conferences or workshops that you think people can value from. Talk with them and see if you want to send them. And again, so many things are done online. Maybe it's just sending them online. But there are things going back in person. Matter of fact, I'm going to New York tomorrow to teach a class. So Whatever it is, see what works for you and for your employee. And when you have your check-ins with them, make sure that you're keeping track of what they need and how they, you can help them develop further. Are those ideas you feel that are workable, that are helpful? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic feedback. And the other thing too, I think sometimes really managing people is an art, you know? I've been doing it for a long yeah. time and I personally hate it. I find it I mean, as an introverted person as well, sometimes it does feel difficult to having to communicate with people who might not be on the same page or the same communication style. So what can we do as manager to really work on our communication skill set, especially if someone maybe has a different communication style, right? Maybe I'm a very visual person, but the other person is very verbal. What are some of the things can we do to make sure we're all on the same page? That's an excellent question. And the answer is communicate in the style that they are comfortable with, that they learn in, that they hear in, so that when you communicate in a way that is best for them, they're going to get it and you're going to know that you communicated. It's so easy to default to the way that we like to communicate, that we like to learn, that we like to hear that when we don't take the other person in mind, and I don't care if the other person is an employee, a spouse, a significant other, if we're not communicating a way that they will hear us, then we're not getting our message across. So do it in a way that they best hear and understand. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think one of the things too, I mean, this is really like our last question, essentially. I think recent years, especially with COVID, I mean, are, we are living in a really crazy world, right? There are a lot of things that we thought we took for granted, for example, our health, all of a sudden, very shaken to the core, I would say. And I think for our industry as well, I mean, real estate in general is a very slow changing industry. From my experience working in industry for a long time, when it comes to technology, especially, <laughs> And then also certain ideas, which things were done in kind of like this old school way. And I think one of the things that have come into discussion lately is the idea of being more inclusive, building the company culture, and then having a more diverse 
work environment as well. Because our client, let's face it, are very diverse. And so inclusivity is really important. But what I've found when working with stagers is that a lot of times they don't know how to approach topics like this. They think it's very esoteric. Uh, and so sometimes the execution of that becomes very performative. That they say, oh, we're going to do all these things, but in reality, in practice, they're not doing it. So what are some of the things that we can do to make sure our values for our business are truly being amplified through our business practice? I think what you need to do, so let's put it this way. This is hard because when you're the business owner, when you're the entrepreneur, when you're the leader, you have had this vision that you've been able to grow. You've germinated this, if you will. You've given birth to this business and practice. And when you've done so, you've been very nurturing, very caring to get it to where it is to help it grow. Once it gets there, once it gets there to the point that you need to add people, much like you'd add maybe fertilizer or something to a plant that's growing, you're adding people to help grow and strengthen your business. You've got different skills that you need to use because what got you here to this point won't get you there. What got you here won't get you there. My friend and mentor, Marshall Goldsmith, wrote a book called Exactly That, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. So you need to be able to switch your mindset from someone who has lovingly grown your business to the point it's at, grown the staging, and grown your respect and reputation. And now you have to take on a different hat. And as you say, if you're more introverted and sounds like people, you know, a lot of artistic people are more introverted, you've got to be able to come up with some different skills and habits and ways to be able to work effectively. So become a manager who's one and a leader who's one that people want to follow, who are develop the trust that they need to feel like they are part of this so that you're growing in the same loving way that you grew your business. You're now growing your people and you're growing things in a way that will help you. But it means learning some new skills, adapting some new habits and having some new focuses because all of a sudden you're not the one who's doing it all and knows what and how to do it, but you're trusting others to do that. I think that's good advice. And so to end our show today, I just have one last question for you. What would be your number one tip for home stagers when it comes to retaining talents for their home staging business? Love them up. I love, love that. Them up. Yeah, really. Be kind. Make their day. Know what makes their day. When staging, you don't do the same thing in every home, right? How do you decide? You have to decide what does this home need? What sofa, what lamp, what pictures, what way do we want to display them? Well, it's the same thing at work and retaining talent. Everyone has their own needs, their own desires, their own motivators. And so your challenge as a leader is to identify what those are and do things for them in the way that they're going to appreciate so that they're going to be loyal and do their best work for you. That's great. Thank you so much again for being on the show today. It was great to have you. 
Cindy, it's a pleasure. People can reach me or learn about the book at my website, howardhprager.com, where you can download a free chapter of the book, where you can also get some worksheets to be able to grow and improve your Make Someone's Day practice, and where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, where I'll share continued tips and ideas that I find. I wish all the listeners out here and all those of you in your home staging businesses much success, not only with what you do, with what you manage and what you care about, because when you do, those results are just going to keep coming your way. That's great. Thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure, Cindy. Thank you for the work that you're doing. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.